All right. Good morning, everyone. Glad to see everyone here this morning. Um, hope you're having a good. I guess this weekend is Independence Day weekend, Fourth of July weekend, and the holiday coming up in a couple of days. Hope you guys are enjoying. It. I also hope if you um, are available that you can come out to the Tracers this afternoon and evening. I think it'll be a great time of fellowship and um, should be some pretty yummy food too. And uh, of course, you're, you're welcome to, to bring a side or dessert or whatever that too. But uh, please come. We'd love to have you uh, there with us. So uh, we are in Ecclesiastes. We're continuing in, in, in the book of Ecclesiastes. We're in chapter 9. Uh, and I am going to read verses 1 through 12 of Ecclesiastes 9. Uh, so let me read God's word. But all this I laid to heart, examining it all, how the righteous and the wise and their deeds are in the hand of God. Whether it is love or hate, man does not know, both are before him. It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is as he who shuns an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun, that the same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of the children of men are full of evil, and madness is in their hearts while they live, and after that they go to the dead." But he who is joined with all the living has hope, for a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing, and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy has already, have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun." Go, eat your bread with joy, and drink your wine with a merry heart, for God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white, let not oil be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time, like fish that are taken in an evil net, and like birds that are caught in a snare, so the children of man are snared at the evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, we ask for, for help in understanding these uh, truths of your word. Father, we um, want to hear from, 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 from the wisdom of, of Solomon here. We want to hear and, and understand um, these frustrating, difficult truths of our life that, that, that we live. Father, may, may um, our hearts be shaped by these truths. May we see um, that we do not need to be um, frustrated by this life, that we need not to, to um, fear. Lord, Lord, teach us how, how to live in a world that is filled with death, how to live in a world that is filled with heartache and pain. Um, Lord, a life where death comes to all. Help us to, to, to understand this, to see this, um, to take this to heart, Father. This is, this is what we ask. We pray things in your name. Amen. Okay, so I'm going to ask a, uh, a really silly question. Okay, so really, really silly question. Have you ever been frustrated? Because I, I haven't. I've never been frustrated. 
ever in my life? No, that's of course very silly, right? But I definitely would say that I would probably usually think of myself as a person who doesn't get frustrated very much. Um, and then I had kids and I realized that was not true. I get frustrated really, really easily. Uh, but uh, why, why, why do we get frustrated? We, we get frustrated, and maybe you could come with a lot of different answers, but I think, I think um, the big reason we get frustrated is because we have certain expectations, right, of how things are going to turn out, and then those expectations aren't met, right? And then that frustrates us because we have in our mind that something went a certain way, and the ending should be like this. This happened, so then this should be the result, right? And sometimes that's in smaller things like... Um, I've taught my child how to pick up his things and put them in to the toy box. Therefore, the toy should always be back in the toy box. So when they're not in the toy box, I'm frustrated, right? Because everything was set up to be in such a way that it should work. Um, or perhaps um, our sports team trained and practiced and worked really hard. We did all the right things we need to do. There's no reason we should not be at the state final, but we are not at the state final that is frustrating. We did everything that should have probably been done for that, and it didn't happen. Um, and then there's uh, frustrations and maybe more medium things, maybe not so small, a little bit more important things like, I've worked this job for a lot of years. I've worked really, really hard. I've showed up on time all the time. I work really well uh, with my coworkers. I should have got the promotion. Everything worked up to that. I should have got the promotion. That, that, that should have happened. Um, and then these frustrations, I think, can happen in very, very big things, very, very hard things um, in situations like this child was very young and very healthy and very full of life, and now they're gone. And that's very frustrating and hurting and depressing and um, challenging and enraging and... Uh, we, we begin to wonder things, right? We begin to ask questions. We begin to, um, man, should have I have done something differently? If I would have done things maybe differently, would it not have turned out this way? Uh, we begin to try to reason it out and try to figure it all out in our head and, and figure out uh, what could have been done differently or what um, actually happened. And, 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 it, and it really um, leaves us quite frustrated and quite frazzled and, and um, leads to... Um, can lead to very, very dark times in, in our lives. And um, I'm very thankful that Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, decided to jump into that. Uh, he decided to jump, jump into that. And I believe very strongly that his goal in talking about this truth that, that evil, especially death, comes to all, I think, I think he wants to cover it because he wants us to um, see that that. that uh, it is frustrating, but we don't have to be frustrated. It, it, is, it is hurting and it is challenging, and, um, but we don't have to be. Um, we, there, there's there's a, a way to see it and a way to, a way to, a way to look at it, a way to live with it that, that is helpful. And that's, and that's what I think Solomon wants to help, help us do here. So in this passage, in, this, in these chapters here, uh, Solomon has been talking about this concept of trying to understand these challenging things in life. Uh, um, and, and, he, and he just got done talking about the concept of, of, of life being um, under God's control and, and, and in God's hands. And now he's kind of moving in, into this. And so what I want to do, these 12 verses, I think, um, kind of have, have a, maybe a four-point 
kind of argument that he is making, a four-point direction that he is going. And so I want to I move, move through that. Okay, so we're going to start with kind of looking at the issue. He addresses the issue. What is the issue? What is the problem? What is this that frustrates? And, and it's going to be the death that, that everyone dies, that, that, that evil happens to all, and especially that we all die. Uh, and then he's going to go into, and he's going to kind of give us an unseen value to this issue, a value in this issue that, that maybe we don't see. And then he's going to give us, how, how do we live with it? How do we, how do we live with this problem that death comes to all? And then fourth, he's going to give us a little caveat um, and, and really a summary, a reminder to, to kind of bring us back to the, the, the reality of the issue. And so let's, let's go through and let's start with what is the issue? What is he, what is he getting? And I will, I will admit that these, these, uh, some of these verses were, were really challenging and, and took some digging. And so we're going to kind of go through them here, starting in, in verse 1. And the first point that he's kind to trying to say that, get, that is frustrating, that we get frustrated with, is that man cannot control his life. Um, and he starts with that. He says, he says, those who are righteous, those who are wise, and all their deeds, they're all in the hands of God. And, and uh, through studying this, what he, what he means by that is that um, in the end, what happens is not in your control. You can be wise, you can be good, you can be righteous, but in the end, um, what happens in life, you can't control. And not even that, but even if, if you looked at your life, if you looked at your life, you're going to notice that some really good things happen in your life and some really bad things happen in your life. And so it's actually hard from looking at the situations in your life to even know, based on those situations alone, if God loves or hates you. Man does not know. Both are before him, meaning in life I see positive, in life I see negative. But it's hard to tell from those, just from my own life situation. Man, does God love me or does God hate me? And, and at first that may seem strange, but we do that, don't we? We do that. When good things happen, we're like, yes, I'm doing something right. And when bad things happen, I did something wrong and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm, and I'm getting this. And, and he is, he's claiming here, like, you can't tell purely from the situations, from the things that happen in your life, what you're standing with God is, whether he loves or whether he hates you. You, 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 you cannot tell. Because um, he goes on and he says, not just the, the wise and the righteous, but Death, especially evil, but especially death itself, happens to everyone. It happens to everyone. Um, no matter how they live, the good and the bad um, happen to everyone. And he goes through and he kind of gives us this gambit of, of uh, types of people, right? And he kind of almost, almost um, kind of different parts of life, like good or evil, right? Whether, whether you would call yourself a good person or would be seen as a good person or, or you're an evil person, you will die. And then kind of goes into ceremonial, clean or unclean. You're, you're, you're a person who, who, who lives a clean life. And then again, looking at this from like a Jewish tradition kind of way, clean, going, uh, you know, obeying those laws, obeying those rules, or you don't obey any of them, you're going to die. It doesn't matter. You, 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 you're going to die. Sacrifice or no sacrifice. Again, looking at the Old Testament, all these rules, all these laws, you, you obey them all to the T, versus someone who doesn't obey them at all or do all the right things, you're going to die. You're going to die. And he says it again, good in the sinner, right? The good in the sinner, doesn't matter. You are going to die. Those who swear an oath, those who shun an oath, you're going to die, right? We kind of have in our head this certain way that is the best way to live, right? We kind of have these goals or these, or we, we have some kind of um, mantra or things that we put, but he's saying in, in the end, actually though, you're still going to die. 
you are still going to die. No matter, no matter how you chose to live, death is still going to happen. And then he breaks in and he talks about, um, of course, the evilness of this and, and, and how, how it just is so hard to understand. I think that's where I really get this concept of frustrating um, and it really enrages us that the same event happens to all because we have this concept of, of justice and we see this um, bad thing happen to this person, but this good thing happen to this person and it's, and it's frustrating. He goes on and he says, and in that frustration, in that, and he uses the word madness, we live. In that evil, in that sin, we live. And man chooses in that frustration, in that chaos, in that madness to live sinfully, um, to, to, to live against God. And we, and we choose different ways to deal with this frustration, right? One may be um, a form of, uh, maybe you might call it hedonism, where we decide to live for ourselves and get every pleasure that we can because we're going to die anyway. We're going to die anyway. Why not just live for myself? Or maybe um, we, ha- we can take a different form and we, this concept of, of leaving a legacy, right? Like, well, I know I'm going to die, but the things I do now matter. So if I, if I just plan on that, I'm going I'm to build this empire. I'm going to um, raise these people right and all those things. Now, of course, we see in Scripture those are, those are good things. But again, the point that he's trying to make is you're still going to die. You can do that all you want. Like when you die, you're dead. That legacy may do whatever it does, but it, it's not you anymore and, it, and you have no role in it anymore. Um, or we, we decide, uh, similar to hedonism, but we, we, decide, we decide, you know what? In this life, it's best just to try to take and do whatever you can and whatever makes you feel best, do that. Whatever, whatever it is that like, man, if it's, if it's good deeds and charity, if that makes you feel happy, do that. If... Uh, um, if it's taking whatever you want, if it's having a bunch of kids or not having any kids or whatever it may be, seek after those things, do those things. But again, he's saying it's still madness and it still leads to death. And so this, in, in, his, in his studying, in his thinking, in his wandering, Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, comes to that conclusion that uh, um, in that madness, man lives knowing that no matter what they do, no matter how they live, death comes to all. We all die. That's, that's, that's the situation that he is discussing. That's, that's the issue that he's addressing here. And so he moves into an unseen value and the word he uses is, is a hope. There's a hope that we have. Um, he says, but he who is joined with all the living has hope. Has hope. There's hope. And this is really exciting, right? Because we're like, Yes, there's hope. There's hope, good. Everything you said really far, so far seems really negative and not fun. Um, hope, what, what is the hope? And, and before he gets into that, um, he, he uses, says a little idiom, a little phrase, and he says it is better off, um, a living dog is better than a dead lion. And of course, you know, a dog being something that would be looked down upon, seeing lesser compared to a noble lion, and just saying, well, it's better to be a living lesser thing than a great thing that's dead because um, the lesser thing is alive and the great thing is, is dead. Again, just that, that, that truth of, of uh, all dies and it doesn't matter how great the lion was when the lion was alive, that strength is gone, everything's gone. The lion is dead, but the dog is, is, is still alive. 
And so here in verse five, he gives us what is the hope? What is the hope? And he says this, for the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have, and, and they have no more reward. He's saying that the advantage in this situation is that if you're alive, you're still alive. And that may sound, when I first read that, I was like, man, is he kind of being sarcastic? Is he kind of trying to be like um, kind of a, a negative Nelly here? Um, but I don't think so. I think he's actually trying to say and trying to point out, and I think we'll see more as, as we read into this, is what he's trying to say is if you're alive, you're still alive. So you can still do things. If you're alive, you still have an effect. You still, there's still things you can do in this world here today. You're not dead. And I think these next verses help understand that because here's what he says. He says, um, the dead know nothing. The dead have no reward, meaning the dead can get nothing more out of this life. Um, he also says that the memory of them is forgotten. And that's something we kind of hold on to, right? That concept of legacy. Well, at least I'll be remembered. But the truth is, we're only going to be remembered for so long. He says the, 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 dead, the dead don't even have that. Um, and then he lists three very potent, strong emotions. He says they, their love, their hate, their envy, all of these things have already perished, right? Uh, so I think he purposely says these very strong emotions, the strongest emotions you're probably going to feel in this life of love, hate, envy. I think he could have said other things. I think they also rhyme in Hebrews. So I think that's one another reason why I said them. Um, this is very poetic here. But he is pointing out that when you're dead, those are gone. Those emotions are gone. They're not here anymore. You don't have that chance in this life to feel those things, react in those things, and, and to do things in that way. Um, and forever, forever, they, meaning those who are dead, have no more share in all that is done under the sun. If you're dead, you have no more chance. If you are alive, there is hope because you still have a chance. If you're alive, you still have a chance. You still have time. Whatever time you have left, you have time to live. You have time to live. And then, thankfully, and this moves on kind of our third step. So we'll just go into this quickly. I think it's, it's, it's really helpful. Um, oh, actually, I should say something really quick that I think, I think, we, should, I think we should note. Um, if you guys are like me, and you read six and also kind of verse 10, you have kind of this feeling with the way he talks about Sheol, the way he talks about um, the place of death. Uh, it kind of sounds like he almost is maybe talking about that there's not a, a life after death, but we need to note that this is not um, Solomon's all-encompassing view of life after death. If even in the book of Ecclesiastes, we see other references to life after death and what that looks like and, and things like that. And in other parts of Solomon's writing, what he is merely talking about here, um, when he talks about there being no work, no feelings, no what he's talking about is in light of stuff that can actually be done and affect this life here now. When you die, there'll be nothing you can do that will affect this life now. There'll be nothing. You'll just be dead. You'll just be gone. And so he then moves in to what can we do now? What are we able to do now in this life? And verses seven through 10, he has those, he, he, he gives, us, gives us some things we can, we can do. Um, 
to be helpful. And, and again, before we get into these, something I, I, I think uh, is, is, is helpful. When I, when I read, joined with all the living, um, those who are joined the living has hope. I was kind of thrown off. I watched um, the movie uh, Puss in Boots, the most recent one. Have you guys watched that one? I think it's The Last Wish or something like that. Anyway, um, I was going to say I watched it because I have kids, but I actually watched it by myself. So, um, but uh, the, the, I'm also going to give away the whole plot of the movie, okay? So, um, but he's being followed He's a cat, right? So he's got so he's got nine lives, and he's loaned, and he's you know, Puss in Boots is this brave warrior, and he goes and he does all these things, and he lives very bravely, and then he loans that he the death he just had, you know, he died, and he's like, okay, whatever, I die all the time, and I come back to life because I'm a cat, and then he he loaned though that 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 his when he just died, that was his eighth life, that was his eighth life, and he's only got one more life, and all of a sudden, he's not that brave warrior anymore. Um, he's very, very scared all the time. Um, he's very, very worried about what's going to happen to him, very worried about what's going to happen to him next. And this, this wolf character shows up and is kind of hunting him down. And we learn that this wolf is actually death itself, is, is death itself trying to get him. And, 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 and Puss in Boots, who's never scared of anything, is super frightened of death, who is chasing him down and coming after him. Um, until we get to the end of the movie, he goes through these experiences and, and he learns about um, some values in life, some things like that. And uh, towards the end, he finally faces death. He finally faces the wolf and they fight. And death gets upset because the person boots is, is no longer afraid anymore. He is, in fact, kind of jovial. He's, he's kind of joy-filled. And, uh, and death, kind of, he, he, says, he says, I came here to kill that scared little cat not someone who is comfortable or, or, or willing to, to, to die and understand that death is real. And, uh, and so he, death leaves and says, but you know I'm coming back someday. And President Booth says, yeah, I do know you're coming back someday. And that's okay. You know, and, and I, so I think um, as, as I was uh, watching that movie, and, and, or as I should say, after, as I didn't read this passage, it made me think, think of that. And I think um, where he goes there is, is helpful. Again, just showing that value of, um, knowing that you will die. There is a value there. There is, there is, there is a hope there. And so, um, and joy in many ways is the answer. Let's look at, at verse seven. It says, go, right? I think that word go is really helpful. I think go um, says, uh, be active, be in action. Because again, this frustration, this, this negativity, this, this hurt, this pain that comes from understanding that everyone dies can lead to a couple of different things, right? It can lead to um, sinless action, but it can also lead to sinless non-action, right? It can lead to a fatalism uh, that, we, that we do nothing. And we're just like, well, we're all going to die anyway. Why does it matter? But he says, no, go. Go, and he doesn't say just to eat. He says, go and eat your bread with joy. Eat it with joy and drink your wine with a merry heart. With a merry heart. And something to, to, to recognize is this is a, a really similar to other passages in Ecclesiastes where he says a similar thing, but this is the longest. This is the one where he, he expounds the most on what this looks like. And so he says, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with merry heart um, for God has already approved what you do. And that word approved is uh, the same word that's usually been talked about to 
sacrifices, God being pleased with sacrifices. And uh, um, the, it has to do with the approved, has to do with the pleasure of God. And I think uh, what he's really trying to say here is, is do these things, eat with joy, enjoy these blessings that God has given you because not only does it bring you joy, but it pleases God as well. God is pleased when we enjoy the blessings that he has given us, the things that he's, he's given to us. And um, uh, the kids in my youth group have heard this a million times because uh, I say it a lot. But uh, when I was in college, when I was in college, um, a roommate and I were eating lunch and there was brownies that day in the calf. And so he was eating a brownie. Um, and before he'd taken his first bite, he holds it up and he goes, Bert, I'm going to take a bite of this brownie and it's going to be delicious. And I'm going to love the taste of it. But you know what? It didn't have to be delicious. It could have just tasted like cardboard because it doesn't have to be sugary and, and chocolatey and delicious for it to do what it's supposed to do. But God decided to give us sugar and chocolate anyway and all these things. And, and so, and so uh, the, anyway, and that's something that him and I would do a lot. We would talk, just take that moment to like, man, thanks God that this is delicious, right? Um, tonight, hopefully we'll have a bunch of delicious barbecue and be, wow, God, thank you that this is delicious. But I, I think um, that though that may seem like a small thing, I think is a, a real thing that um, bread and, and drink, these things that we need to live, that we don't just, again, take them small, simply, but that we take them seriously. It's like, wow, God gave me these things. What joy I can take in these things um, in, in, in having these things before me. And he even goes a little bit further and he says, um, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. And this is a, a reference um, to celebration. Uh, white is something that would have commonly been worn to, to celebrations, uh, to weddings or to other kinds of uh, festivals or things like that. And oil, again, would be a symbol of, of, of cleanliness, of joy, of, of being um, at something maybe like Cologne, where you're going to something that you, that you really, really enjoy and uh, to have this. And of course, it's really interesting, right? Because he's saying, he's saying in one hand, death comes to all. Everyone dies. And he is saying, let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. So how, how does this work? How do, how do, how do we do both? Because we've also talked about in Ecclesiastes that uh, it is better to mourn, right? Than to celebrate. So what is, what, is, what is he getting at? What is he saying? What is the point? I think it's all in here. I think it's very much connected to that, already, that concept of for God has already approved what you do. These things that we have just because we are frustrated and don't understand these things, what we are to focus on is, is, is the blessings that God has given us, the things that God has put in, into our life. Um, and he goes on, he explains it a little bit more. He says, enjoy life with the wife whom you love all the days of you. There's this word again that we've talked a lot about, vain life, right? And I think again, I think the good word there is this vaporous life, this smoke-like life, this life that is so short and it just whew, goes away. During this time, you have this life and it's going to go away and because death comes to all and you're going to die. Don't let that truth ruin the many blessings you have from God, including your spouse, including your family, um, including the relationships in your life, right? Uh, don't let the fact, don't let the, 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 what can be taken as misery um, wreck the fact that God has given us so much to enjoy even in this life itself. At the second half of verse nine, it says this, because, because that is your portion in life. 
and in your toil at which you toil under the sun. Because that is your portion in life. That word portion we see a few times in Ecclesiastes. We see it in other books. Um, it's a really awesome word, right? And think of portion. We think of uh, this, is, this is what you've been given, right? This is maybe the portion of food that you get for this situation. This is uh, what you get. And what it means here is, is, is very much that. Like, like you need to enjoy that, that food, that drink, the relationships you have. Those of you in this time of toil, in this time of work, in this challenging life, that's what God's given you. That's the portion he's given you. That's the blessing he has given you. So don't miss it. Don't miss it. Don't sit around in bitterness and in frustration in the way things have gone versus how you think they should have gone. Don't sit in that. Sit in the joy of what God has given you in these, in these, in these things. I think sometimes we can, um, I don't know, make uh, small things smaller than they actually are. And I think uh, we can be sitting with our family, eating delicious food, but being our minds brooding. And I think that's really what he's, what he's, what he's trying to hit out. Enjoy. Don't, don't be sitting there in ashes and sack, sackcloth. Be sitting there in white and in oil and in joy and in merry heart because you get to sit there. You're still alive there to sit there, to be with them, to enjoy them. And they are your portion. They're your portion in this life. They're what God has given you here and now to have and to, and to, and to be a part of. And then verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. Whatever your hands find to do, do it with your might. And here's that verse said, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom and shul to which you are going. And again, he is just saying, the thing that's before you now to do, that's never gonna come up again. So do it now. If there's something before you now, because I, I don't know if you guys do this, but this, uh, there's this, 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 this big, large word um, called procrastination that uh, is, is often too much our friend. And I think he's saying, whatever is before you, whatever you is before you, take that chance to do it now. As we're going to see at the end of this passage, death comes like a snare, like a net. And you're not going to have that chance to do it again. Do it while you can. And not only a net for us, but a net for other people. So our time and our chance to do things with people, to, to, to work on things, our, our, our relationships, our hobbies, our work, our business, whatever it may be, do them while you can. Do them while you still can. I think verse 10, uh, when I read it, it's uh, hard not to also see and, and wonder if Paul in the, in the letters, right? In 1 Corinthians 10, 31, he says a really similar thing, right? He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, right? It's hard to imagine Paul not having kind of that passage of Ecclesiastes in his head when he's saying that. Um, so whatever you do, do it. And, in, and again, I, I, I think it's helpful um, post-cross to look at what, what, what Paul's saying here, do it all to the glory of God. Or he says it again in Colossians 3.23, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart. Work at it with all your heart. Whatever it is you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Like this, he's specifically talking to um, slaves, to people who actually work for people. So he's talking to employees, basically, and saying, whatever you do, Work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. Because again, this, 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 this grumbling, this frustration, I think we have it in all things. We have it in, in, for some reason, even though we have these joyful, great, wonderful families, we can live in a mindset of grumbling and brooding. 
even though we have these wonderful jobs, we don't often see them that way and we live in grumbling and brooding. Uh, even though we have these great um, houses and places and food and, and God has, has, has given what we need so often over and over again, we decide to grumble and to brood. Um, I think at this point, it would be really helpful if we see um, kind of what the New Testament has to say about some of these things. And, and I, I uh, found in 1 Thessalonians 5 that Paul um, is, is in many ways kind of writing to a similar situation and is, um, I think, giving really, really helpful advice. And what does this look like, again, post-cross? And, and, and actually, he comes to, in my opinion, a very similar conclusion as Solomon. But again, he's, he's got the, the revelation of the cross at this point. Um, so he uses, uses those, those phrases. But 1 Thessalonians 5, I'm going to read the whole thing. I'm going to read 4 through 11. 4 through 11. Um, I guess just to give you a little context, right? So in Thessalonica, they're dealing with people are understanding that someday the world's going to end, that Jesus is going to come back and it's all going to end. And people are acting di- very differently to that. Some people are um, just being busybodies. They're doing nothing. They're just making other people serve them food and give them things uh, because like, well, it could happen any moment. So why work or why do anything? Some people are just really freaking out and doing chaos and living however they want to live in the moment, right? So this is very similar to what Solomon is, is talking about and confronting in Ecclesiastes. And so here's what Paul says, starting in verse four. But you, speaking of believers, you are not in darkness, brothers, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day, We are not of the night or of the darkness. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love and for a helmet that... uh, and for a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, so that whether we are awake or asleep, whether you are awake or asleep, whether you are dead or alive, we might live with him. Whether you, Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up, just as you are doing. And so people are living this life selfishly and sinfully and in fear and in confusion. But he's saying that those who are in Christ, we don't do that. We don't live in that frustration. We don't live um, in that madness. Instead, we see that God has not destined us for wrath, but he has, but to obtain, but we may obtain, this is what it says, obtain salvation through Jesus Christ who died, that whether we awake or alive, we might live in him. We don't have to fear of wrath to come because we know that we have that salvation in Christ. If you are believing, if you're trusting Christ by faith, knowing that he died so that our death may not be a, a, a death merely into darkness, but a death into Christ, a death into life, an eternal life. And he is saying that not only does that affect our eternity, but he's also saying that that, can affect, that, that that can affect the way that we actually live 
In fact, if we are in Christ, he's kind of got three things that, that I think are very similar to what Solomon is saying. He's saying, um, if we live seeing that truth, knowing that our salvation is through Christ, is in Christ, if we are believing and trusting in Christ as our salvation, that one, we will keep awake and we will be sober, right? We will not be frustrated. We will not, we will not live in madness and folly, but rather we will be awake and we will be sober. We will be ready to do action, to do whatever comes before us to do. But also, um, those who are in Christ are able to wear an armor, an armor that is made out of faith and love and hope of salvation. So faith, love, and hope allow us to live in joy, right? We live faithfully. We live loving others. We, love, we live in a hope knowing that our salvation is not in the things we do, not in the good and the bad results or, or situations in our life, but our in Christ and what he has done on the cross. And then thirdly, we are to encourage one another and build one another up. We are to live in joy with those that he has put in our life. Um, just like he says, enjoy life with the wife whom, whom, whom you love. Um, we are to enjoy those moments. We are to live encouraging. And so I think um, it's helpful for us to see that the New Testament comes to the same conclusion. It comes to the same conclusion of, of how we live this life. Um, but again, we get to see it through the cross. We get to see uh, the eternity that we, get, that we have in Christ through that salvation. Now, I think it's very important that when we study this passage that we kind of leave with the, the mood, the, the, the feeling, the understanding of the passage. And so uh, we are gonna end with verses 11 and 12, which is, is kind of, I would say, his fourth section, which is this, this summary or this caveat that Solomon is giving to this, this passage. And uh, in light of him saying that to enjoy life, to enjoy the things that God gives you, to enjoy the people that you're with, to, uh, you know, especially your spouse, to um, do mighty things that happened before you, he wants you to remember something. He wants you to remember verse 11. Again, I saw that under the sun, the race is not to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Take joy in life. Work hard. Do these things. But... We, we, we hope so much and we, and, we, and we put so much in, in our, own, our own skill, our own wisdom, our own knowledge. And then when the fastest doesn't win the race, we're confused. When the strongest doesn't win the fight, we're frustrated. When we've made all the right decisions but still find that we don't have the amount of sustaining finances that we feel like we should have, we fret and we worry because things didn't add up. And he's, and he's saying here, the truth is in life, things might not add up. In fact, things won't add up. Um, you can plan it all. You can, you, can, you can be the most skilled, the most wise, have the most wisdom. But the truth is that time and chance, and I would say, and I would say chances is, is, the, is the things out of our control in this life. In the end, those, those, those play a role, right? Those, those play a role in the end. Um, we do not, we do not get, to get, get the control. We can, we can be as prepared as we want. But verse 12, man does not know his time. Man does not know his time. Like fish that are taken in an evil net 
and like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. I think he wants us to sit in that truth, in that sobering truth, and honestly even be comforted by it, strangely, that um, we can try and, 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 we can, and, we can, and we can struggle and we can fret and we can worry and we can brood, but no matter how hard we do those things, in the end, um, we will die. Death does come. Death does come. But what we can know, what we can know is verse one is that we are in the hand of God. And it is because we are in the hand of God that we can take joy. That we can be a people who in Christ, who in faith in Christ, don't just look past each other, don't look past the things that God puts in front of us in our life, the blessings, the gifts, we can look straight at them with great thankfulness, knowing that death is coming, not just for us, but for our loved ones, knowing that we are in the hand of God. Let's pray. Father, we are a people who worry, who wonder, who stress, who fret, who go through hard, difficult challenges. But Lord, you do not leave us there. Uh, Lord, you have given us your word to see. Uh, Lord, that you have given us many gifts. You've given us many things to enjoy, to be blessed with, Lord. Uh, But the truth is we live in a world of sin. We live in a world of evil. We live in a world of death. Um, where death comes to us all, Father. I pray that we can see that sober truth, Lord, but that that sober truth leads us not to inaction and not leads us to brooding, but Lord, leads us to joy, leads us to enjoyment, leads us to knowing that because, because we are in your hand, we can live life thankfully. We can live life humbly. We can live life even excited, Lord. We can live life in celebration um, in these in, in this pain, in this hurt, in these deaths, Father, uh, Lord, because you are a loving God who holds us. Lord, we pray thanks in your name. Amen.